Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We will be in Jeremiah 23 in just a moment if you want to find that in your passage of Scripture or your copy of Scripture, and we will look at that and read from the first eight verses or so here in a moment. Have you ever had someone break a promise to you? Uh, maybe another way to ask that question, have you ever broken a promise to somebody else? I remember as a teenager, I was in a phase where I really liked golf. I still do. I'm just not very good at it. But uh, I was a, a teenager and I liked to play golf. And I, I was in a phase where I really enjoyed it. And we had a family friend who called us and said uh, that he was going to take me to play golf. And we planned it. We put it on the calendar. We had a day set aside for that. I got my golf clubs out the day before, and I washed them, and I brushed them down, and I made sure I had all my balls together and had everything ready, and I was so excited about going to play golf with that family friend. And then it rained on the day we were to play golf, just like it rained this past weekend. I mean, just, I mean, a gully washer of a rain. I mean, it just rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and of course, we didn't get to go play golf. And I, was so, I remember as a teenager, I was so disappointed that a promise was broken. Now, now, sometimes, right, promises are broken because we do something to break a promise. But a lot of times, the people that have broken promises to you, the reason they broke their promise is because the situation was outside their control. They couldn't stop the situation. They weren't in charge of everything that was going on. And so the promise broke, not because they were mean or evil or they were a liar, but because the situation was beyond their ability to control. And I want to tell you something. When we look at the promises we make and when we look at the promises that have been made to us, many of those promises are outside of our control to keep. But I want to tell you something really encouraging. When God makes a promise... Not only does he always keep it, he's always powerful enough to make sure there are no circumstances that force him to break a promise. We're going to read about some promises that provide us hope. And let me tell you up front who I'm talking to. Maybe you're not with us in person. Maybe you're watching on Facebook or YouTube or you tuned in through Vimeo or you're flipping through the channels and you found us on TV and you're a skeptic. You're not even sure why you're watching a worship service. You're not even sure you believe any of this Jesus stuff and this Bible stuff. And you're not sure at all. You're a skeptic. You're an unbeliever. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible over and over again shows us ways that God intervened in history, that God kept promises, and that gives us validity in believing that the Bible is true. And I'm talking to some of you today. I think there are some promises that God kept in Jeremiah 23 that I hope will make someone who's a skeptic or an unbeliever think again and look again at the truths of the gospel and the opportunity to trust in Jesus. So I'm talking to you as a skeptic. Some of you have come in and you're discouraged. Or you're watching and you're just flat out discouraged. You're discouraged with the divide in our country. You're discouraged with the politics and the division and the name calling. You're discouraged with the choices we have. You're discouraged with the pandemic. You're discouraged with your job. You're just discouraged because there have been a lot of things that have happened over the last days, weeks, months, and maybe for some of you for years that have just not gone your way. And you don't have a lot of courage and you don't have a lot of hope. 
Well, I think this message can be a message that will encourage you. I really do, because it's a reminder that God is a God who doesn't just stand by and watch things take place. He's a God who intervenes in our situations, and He gives us reasons to have hope. And and then let me tell you the third group of people I'm talking to. I'm talking to you as believers. Some of you as believers, you're not really discouraged. You have moments, but that's not where you are tonight. And you're not a skeptic. You believe in the Bible and you believe in Jesus and you've trusted Him to be your Savior. In fact, maybe like you, when we were worshiping just a few moments ago musically, you were really encouraged by the music. I mean, you're singing and you believe it. And and those songs were beautiful and they pointed us to Jesus. But let me remind you of something. Your faith is not misplaced. When we get through this message as a follower of Jesus, I want you to walk away from this message recognizing that, hold on a second, listen, I've put my faith in Jesus, and man, am I so glad I've put my faith in Jesus because He is someone to be counted on. We're going to look at three promises that provide hope from Jeremiah 23. So I've given you something to anticipate. Let's read the text and see what's taking place in this passage of Scripture. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness." Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Now, over the last several weeks, we have unpacked various parts of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet for a reason because most of his prophecies, most of his preaching, most of his sermons had to do with judgment and justice, had to do with idolatry, had to do with sin, had to do with wickedness. And he starts off Jeremiah 23 in that same vein, woe unto the shepherds. But there's a promise he makes. The first promise that I want us to unpack is this, God promised to provide good shepherds for his future remnant. God promised to provide good shepherds for his future remnant. Now, why did he start off negative? Because Jeremiah is reliving the tenure of the last several kings of Judah. If you remember way back when we started in Jeremiah, we reminded you that Jeremiah's ministry started under the king Josiah. Josiah was the last good king that reigned over over Judah. He was a a decent guy. He he brought the people back in a place of spiritual reformation. He took down some of the high places, led the people of God to worship God rightly. But at that particular time in world history, Assyria was the primary power in the Middle East. And King Josiah had made an alliance with the king of Assyria. He was a vassal under that kingdom. Essentially, Assyria let Josiah be king, and Josiah had to pay a certain amount of tribute. 
Well, Egypt got, uh, got some pride and, and they decided that they were going to go try to attack Assyria. And so Egypt, under a pharaoh named Necho, brought his army through the land of Israel, or around the land of Israel, to attack Assyria. And because Josiah had an alliance with Syria, Josiah decided, I'm going to take my army and I'm going to stand against Pharaoh Necho. Well, he did. And in that battle in 609, the battle of Megiddo, Josiah was killed And so the last good king of Judah died. And his son, Shalom, or named Jehoahaz, reigned after Josiah. He only reigned three months. Didn't live very long. uh, Was not a good king. He was carried off into captivity by Pharaoh Necho. Then Pharaoh Necho placed in power in Israel, because he had defeated Josiah, a man by the name of Jehoiakim. He was the next king uh, of Israel, and he was a pretty terrible guy. Uh, one scholar called him prideful as a peacock. Essentially, he was one of those that Jeremiah was preaching against when he was talking about that leader that used his authority, used his power to uh, oppress the poor. He built his uh, wealth on the backs of those who were less privileged. And he built up his palace. He wanted a nice place and take all the wealth he could take. And he oppressed people to do so. He was wicked. He didn't obey God. And actually his reign ended when Nebuchadnezzar came to Judah and took away the first round of exiles. The last of Judah's kings was a man by the name of Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the king that we'll read about as we continue to work through the book of Jeremiah. He was put in charge by Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar had basically made Judah their vassal kingdom underneath him. And he put Zedekiah on the throne. And Zedekiah had opportunities to obey Nebuchadnezzar. He had opportunities to, to do what Jeremiah said. If you continue reading through the book of Jeremiah, you'll discover this. But Zedekiah was prideful, arrogant, selfish, didn't listen to Jeremiah, didn't listen to the Lord... And he bucked up against Nebuchadnezzar, and he ended up facing a very terrible end. His eyes were plucked out after his, his sons were killed in front of him, and he was taken off into captivity in Babylon. Those were the last kings of Judah. They were terrible kings. And what Jeremiah is prophesying in verse 23, or chapter 23-1, is woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. He's not talking about a pastor here, or a priest, or a prophet. The shepherds in this context are the leaders, the political leaders of the land. And he said to them, Jeremiah is saying to them, listen, these men have led the people of God astray. These kings have chosen to worship idols, and so they've led the people to worship idols. And they presided over the demise of the kingdom of Judah, and they're going to be judged. Let me tell you something, folks. There are kings and there are leaders out there that they have no interest in obeying God. They have interest in doing their own thing, and God promises judgment for men and for women and for leaders like that. But he made a promise here to Jeremiah. He said to Jeremiah, I'm going to give you back kings or give you back leaders that will do something good for you. Notice what he says. Check this out. Verse 4. I will set shepherds over them. And that's the remnant. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'll set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Say, hold on a second. Where does that prophecy come true? Folks, that prophecy comes absolutely true in the testimony of Scripture. God made a promise 
to, through Jeremiah to the people of Judah. Listen, you had bad kings. They led you astray. I'm going to give you leaders. I'm going to give you people who will lead you back to me. You know who God gave the people of Israel when they came back as a remnant? He gave them men like Ezra. You can read the story of Ezra in the Bible. Ezra was a priest, and he was a man who preached the word of God to the people and brought them back to a place of humble worship. God, he gave them, uh, gave them a man by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was not just a religious leader. He was a political leader. He was a governor, and he brought the people of Judah, the exiles, back and led them to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem to restore them, to give them hope. He gave them a leader by the name of Zerubbabel, who is actually a relative of Zedekiah, a great-grandson, I believe, of Zedekiah, who came back and he helped in the rebuilding of the temple and in the governance of the remnant and the exiles. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're a skeptic, if you're a believer, if you're here and you're discouraged, God made a promise through Jeremiah and the biblical text tells us that God answered that promise, fulfilled that promise by giving them a spiritual leader in Ezra, by giving them a leader who helped them rebuild the wall, very practical in Nehemiah, and a political leader in Zerubbabel who led them and who guided them and led them back into temple worship. God keeps his promises. He does. That leads us to a moment of introspection before we continue along in, uh, in this sermon about promises. Listen, we look around us and we see politicians and we see leaders and sometimes we see preachers and sometimes we see people with platforms and and it doesn't appear like they're leading many people to God it appears like there are you know athletes and movie stars and those who have platforms I mean they're drawing people away they're pushing people not to scripture to follow Jesus but if you see society and culture they're pushing people away from God and what does that make us do it makes us frustrated because we look around and if we listen to all the voices that are going on outside of us, it doesn't appear like many of them are leading us back to God. But here's some good news. The poor leaders that we see, the poor examples that we see, they make us pine for the good ones. They remind us that there's something better in store. They remind us that as a culture and as a people and as followers of Jesus, this is not new to the people of God. The people of God in Jeremiah's day, the remnant that would be in exile, the remnant that would come back, they could remember the wickedness of the leaders before. But you know what? God raised up some leaders that would guide them and that would protect them and that would be with them and that would care for them. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're a follower of Jesus... You love God, God will give you somebody that you can follow. We'll talk about that a little more, more deeply in a moment. But God promised to provide good shepherds for his future remnant. He kept that promise, specifically kept that promise. Let me give you another promise he kept. God promised to return a remnant. A return a remnant. Pick up in verse 3. God says to the leaders, I will attend to you, I will bring you judgment. And then verse 3 says... I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I've driven them. I will bring them back to their fold, and they will be fruitful and multiply. In verses 7 and 8, uh, Jeremiah preaches, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, As the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country, and out of the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Let's say, Pastor, that's just preacher talk. That's just Jeremiah trying to give somebody some good news. 
Give them some hope. Make them feel a little better about themselves. That's a little bit of what Jeremiah was doing, but would it surprise you to know that what Jeremiah prophesied here is exactly what happened? Listen, this is one of the reasons why we should be encouraged by Scripture. Jeremiah, on two occasions in his prophecies, chapter 24 is one of those, prophecy about good figs and bad figs, and later on in his prophecies, he said that the exile was going to be about 70 years long. 70 years, the people of Israel were going to be in exile. People of Judah were going to be in exile. Now, now that specific time frame, it's hard to pinpoint. If it's from the time of the first captivity, when Nebuchadnezzar took people like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah to Babylon, you read about that in Daniel's story, that would have been around 598 when, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar came to Babylon the first time uh, and took the people of Israel there. And then Daniel is praying about this in Daniel chapter 9, a great passage of scripture I would encourage you to to read because Daniel was reading Jeremiah's prophecies in Daniel 9 and Daniel read that Jeremiah said there were 70 years in between that the captives were going to be in Babylon And, and Daniel had been around a long time he knew when he was taken captive and he was an old man at that point and he was praying that God would fulfill his promise and bring back the exiles from Babylon and you know what God did God raised up a leader by the name of Cyrus and the leader Cyrus of a different kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. The Babylonians took the people of Judah into exile. The Medes and the Persians took over the Babylonians. And Cyrus, the Mede, sent the people of Israel a remnant back. And you read about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Here's why this is so encouraging. Because Jeremiah was talking about this in the days of destruction. Jeremiah was living at a time in Judah's history where God was speaking to him and telling him, Jeremiah, the people have not repented. The people have not turned back to me. The people are going to be judged. And Jeremiah's prophecies are of judgment and of destruction and of pain and of difficulty. And Jeremiah is preaching to them and they're not listening. They're not having anything to do with it. They don't want to pay attention at all. They don't want to abide by the truth that Jeremiah is preaching. And Jeremiah had the privilege to stand up and say in one encouraging message, yeah, you're going to go away. Uh, there's going to be an exile. Exile is going to be for a period of time, about 70 years. And then God's going to bring back a remnant from that people, from the place of Babylon. And he's going to bring you back and he's going to restore it. And let me tell you, history affirms that God indeed brought back a remnant from Babylon, set them back in the, in the land of Israel and gave them their homeland back. God is a God who keeps his promises. And Jeremiah attends to that promise when he talks in the verses 7 and 8. It will be forgotten or it won't be as important. Remember, God brought us out of Egypt. That was their freedom. That was the Exodus way back in the book of Exodus. But what's going to be said then, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought us back from exile. And you know what the people of God did? They were able to look at Jeremiah's prophecies of destruction and judgment that they didn't listen to. They were able to acknowledge they were in exile. They were able to acknowledge that Cyrus sent them back under God's hand and God's provision. And you know what they were able to do? They were able to recognize that God was the one who judged them. And God was also the one who restored them. God was the one who gave them back their land. Why? Because God is a promise-keeping God. Let me speak for a moment to you skeptics directly. Some of you have a hard time with the Bible. You read the Bible and you're like, I don't know, that doesn't make sense. I'm not sure that took place. Listen, when a man can prophesy something years before it happens and it comes true, that's not because Jeremiah was supremely intelligent. That's not because he could see the future. He wasn't an Nostradamus or anything of that sort. He was a man who listened to God. 
See, God is the premier actor in human history. He's the interventionist. He's the one that moves in and among what's going on in the world. And he did so with his people. And when he told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, there's going to be an exile. And then I'm going to bring the people back. It must have sounded funny to the ears of the people who were living in Jerusalem. Because they were living under a king like Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim was a flawed king. He was a failure. He was a, an immoral person. He was an idol worshiper. But, you know, things were good. Things were good enough so he could build himself a nice palace and he could have gold. And they must have listened to Jeremiah and thought, you're just a kook. You're just a fuddy-duddy old preacher. You have no idea what you're doing. Everything seems to be okay. And within 10 or 15 years of Jeremiah preaching this sermon, they could look back and say, oh, wait a second, we maybe should have listened to Jeremiah a little sooner because that old fuddy-duddy was right. And, and my family, a lot of my family are dead because we, they stayed in, in Jerusalem and they were destroyed and I'm in Babylon and I should have listened to what Jeremiah said. Maybe I need to listen to him a little bit more. And you know what they did? They were able to stay in Babylon for that 70 year period and then return as a fulfillment of God's prophet, prophecies. Uh, To you skeptics, let me tell you, the Bible is full of time and time again, God saying he's going to do something and God keeping his promise. You need to know something. If you're an unbeliever, if you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, God wants you to know that he is a keeper of promises. He is a fulfiller of expectations, and he's the one that you should put your hope in. There's no hope in any other God. There's no hope in any other deity or any other religious system because those are not God. In fact, one of the greatest testimonies to the truth of Scripture is the people of Israel. Why are we talking about them? They were never a world power. In this case, they were taken over by Babylon. They were sent to Babylon. They came back in exile. They were overtaken by Greece. Then they were overtaken by Rome. And then we know what happened in the 1940s when Adolf Hitler and the Nazis tried to destroy them and annihilate them through the Holocaust. Holocaust. Why is it that they have a land? Why is it that they're in their homeland? Folks, it's because they're God's people and God doesn't break promises. God keeps his promise to a people that he chose. Why is that important for us to understand? Because when God keeps his promises, it's a reminder that we can put our hope and trust in him. Let me give you a third promise that God makes. This is one that is tremendously encouraging. God promised to send a righteous branch to lead his remnant. God promised to send a righteous branch to lead his remnant. Now, If you look back at these other two promises, these other two promises that we've just looked at reflect the symptoms of the world's problems. If you look around us and you ask a whole lot of people in the world, hey, what's the greatest problem in the world? Some of you or some of those might answer, well, it's the leaders we have. It's the people that are in charge. They're not making the right decisions. And I'll grant you, there are a lot of bad leaders in the world. There are a lot of people who've been in politics who haven't made good decisions. But you know what? There are some people in politics who make good decisions. But some might say the problem is the leaders. And I would say, yeah, the problem is that we have bad leaders sometimes. Whether you're in China or whether you're in America or whether you're in another part of the world. And some others might say... And the problem is like the people of Israel dealt with when they were in exile. They, were, they, they lacked. They didn't have anything. They were away from their homeland. And, and if you had to leave your home and go live somewhere else for 70 years because you and your people were under judgment, you might say the greatest problem that you experienced is the fact that you're a refugee and you're not living in your home and that you did like things. 
But I want you to notice something. These problems that we see in the world today, lack or leadership or whatever it might be, are only symptoms. The real problem is not that we don't have great leaders. And the real problem is not that we don't have enough stuff or that there are not enough people in the world that, that have food or that have clothing. And there are some places in the world, folks, that, that, that are really struggling with basic needs and they do have a lack. The real problem in the world, though, is lawlessness and sin. And I want you to notice what God promised through Jeremiah gets not at the symptoms of our problem, but gets at the very root of our problem. Notice what he promised. Behold, the days are coming, verse 5, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, I want you to notice something. Previously in verse 4, God promised to send back shepherds, leaders. But he didn't promise to send back kings. In fact, since King Zedekiah died, that was the last physical earthly king that reigned in Judah. There were no other kings. Zerubbabel wasn't a king. Nehemiah wasn't a king. Ezra wasn't a king. And the kings that did rule over the nation of Judah and Israel, say in the New Testament times, they weren't, Judah, they weren't Judah's kings. They were basically transplants underneath Roman authority. They weren't real kings, and they weren't from the kingly line at all. But notice what God says. I am going to raise up for David a righteous branch. You'll notice in your copy of Scripture that word branch is capitalized because it's a messianic prophecy. Jeremiah didn't get to make too many of these. God gave him a lot of words of judgment and some words of hope, but he gave him this messianic claim. He's a righteous branch who shall reign as king and deal wisely, execute justice and righteousness in the land. Here's what Jeremiah is promising. Here's what God is promising. God's promising that he's going to send a king. He's going to send a leader. He's going to send someone who will sit on David's throne and he will do what? Now catch this. He will deal wisely. Man, don't we need that? Don't we need wise leadership? How about this one? He will execute justice. The cries of people all over the world right now are cries against injustice. I'll tell you something, those problems are not going to be solved this side of eternity. There will be cries against injustice until Jesus comes back. But you know, when Jesus comes, he's going to execute justice. You know what else he's going to do? He's going to execute righteousness in the land. You know, the biggest problem with people in our world, the biggest problem isn't our poor leadership. The biggest problem isn't unwise decisions. The biggest problem isn't even injustice, ultimately, or not injustice interpersonally. The biggest problem is sin. I'm glad that when Jeremiah made this prophecy and when God gave him this promise, he said, I'm going to give you a righteous branch. It's a reflection on the greatest problem. The greatest problem is the fact that you and I are sinners before a holy God. We're unrighteous, we're despicable, we're not good in and of ourselves. And we don't just need someone to lead us, and we don't just need someone to guide us, and we just don't need someone to make us a little bit better, or make us a little bit nicer, or make us a little bit more safe. We need someone to deal with the greatest problem that we have, and that problem is our sinfulness. Notice what Jeremiah said, and this is the name by which it will be called, the last part of verse 6, the Lord is our righteousness. That's a play on Zedekiah's name. Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, his name means the Lord is my righteousness. And Zedekiah didn't live up to his name. In fact, he lived the opposite of his name, that the Lord is not his righteousness because he didn't live righteously. 
But the king that's coming will be the king who claims righteousness. And that's none other than Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life, fulfilled God's law absolutely, and is the very depiction of righteousness. He came so that we would experience the righteousness that we need. And and why do we need righteousness? Because folks, as we've been looking at the book of Jeremiah, and you just got to ask yourself some honest questions. Do you tell lies? Do you break promises? Do you think sinful thoughts? Do you have idols that you worship put in place of God? Are are you at a place where you can say everything in my life is righteous, holy, good, pure, and perfect? Even if you are better than most. And as you look around, maybe in this worship service, or maybe you're at home, maybe you're you're listening to the sermon and you think, man, I'm better than most because I know what so-and-so down the street's doing. And I know I'm better than them. Or, or maybe you're thinking, I know I'm better than the, my, my co-worker. Man, I don't steal stuff from my boss, but I know my co-worker. Man, they steal and they cheat and, and they do some things that are really bad. Folks, even if you're better than most, you're still not good enough. Because God's expectation is not good enough. God's expectation is not better than somebody else. God's expectation is not that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. God's expectation for you and for me is absolute, utter, complete perfection and righteousness. And we cannot earn that on our own. We're not good enough. We're not righteous enough. We're not holy enough. And if you've heard any of these sermons through Jeremiah, there are plenty of places where you and I should let the Scripture honestly read us and it should tell us, man, I fall short here and you fall short there and we should fall short in this area. We need something better. And Jeremiah is telling us that God promised something better. And not only did God promise something better, He fulfilled that promise of something better. 500 or so years after Jeremiah preached this message, God sent Jesus on earth to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to walk the streets of Jerusalem where Jeremiah lived and where Jeremiah preached, to go into those same places in the temple and to preach similar sermons in the temple and to minister to people and to care for people. But ultimately, God sent Jesus To be a perfect substitute for your sins and for my sins. God sent Jesus so that he would take our unbelief and he would take our unrighteousness and he would take our failures and he would take our lack of wisdom and he would take all of the things that we bring into a meeting with God. He would take all of those and he would become sin in our place. See, God sent Jesus to be a substitute. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul put it this way. He said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become, catch this, that we might become the righteousness of God. God sent Jesus as righteousness so that he could take your sinfulness and he could take my sinfulness. So that through a faith relationship with him, Jesus would offer us the righteousness that we don't deserve so that we can enter into a relationship with the living God. I'm talking to somebody today. And my prayer is that you will recognize that your sinfulness is keeping you from God. Your disobedience is keeping you from God. Your unrighteousness is keeping you from God. But if you will confess your sins, admit that you're a sinner, believe on Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and rose from the dead for your salvation, and commit your life to following him, 
then you can have an eternal relationship with him. You can be a part of that righteousness that Jesus offers. And you can have eternal life with Christ. There's a beautiful picture that I'd like to end this sermon with. It actually goes back and hints at that message that God gave Jeremiah way back at his uh, initiation in ministry. It's called a ministry. God told Jeremiah that he was going to destroy and that he was going to tear down. Gave him a lot of negative expectations. And he said this, I'm going to build or you're going to build and you're going to plant. There's going to be some good news. There's going to be some fruit to come from that. And I think it's not uh, insignificant that Jeremiah's prophecy of a righteous branch is a branch. It's a branch to be planted. It's a branch to grow up. It's a branch to, to be glorious. And you know what the Bible talks about? It talks about us having the privilege to be grafted into that branch. To, to become a follower of Jesus. And grafting is, a, is an odd process. Didn't know a whole lot about it. But you can actually take a, a twig of a tree, a green tree, and you can break it off or cut it off. And you can take another type of tree or a similar type of tree. And you can cut a branch off and you can make those branches match through a process called grafting. And you can tie it together and you can string it together and you can put it together. And over a period of days, weeks, and months, those trees will grow together. And that one branch will be grafted into that other branch. I'll tell you this, grafting's a painful process for the twigs and a painful process for the tree. The tree has to be cut. The, the, the root of the tree has to be cut or the root of that twig has to be cut. The, the, the twig has to be torn off, has to be torn away from its other home in order to be grafted in. It's a beautiful picture of what it means to trust in Jesus as your Savior. See, some of you are in this moment. You're relying on something else. You're relying on another religion or you're relying on good deeds or you're relying on your past or you're relying on some kind of experiential event that was not salvation. And you know what? Unless you let go of what you're relying on and rely on Jesus alone, you'll never be able to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And, and I'll tell you this, while we may have to give some things away and turn some things away, that branch that grafts us in and brings us into a relationship with himself, uh, it was not painless for him either. See, Jesus, in order to secure our salvation and to invite us into his righteousness, had to be hung on a wooden cross had to be nailed there, had to be beaten, had to be bloodied, had to be bruised, had to be rejected, and ultimately had to die. It's not a painless process. But when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God takes what we lack and grafts us into the righteousness of Jesus and offers us eternal life. If you need that eternal life, I would invite you to tell us somehow you can send us an email, info at wilkesboroughbaptist.org. You can, uh, if you're on Facebook, you can message us in the comments. If you're in our sanctuary, worshiping with us, you can come and see me at the, this invitation or after the worship service and tell me you'd like to know more about put your, putting your faith and trust in Jesus. If you're here, if you're listening, if you're a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you. God has made many promises and he has yet to break one. Whether you walk in discouraged or whether you walk in, have walked in encouraged, walk out knowing that Jesus is the one who gave you promises and he's going to keep every promise he makes 
And we have not misplaced our faith when we've put it in Him. Stand with me, if you will. Lord God, we come to you in this moment, and I ask that you work in our hearts. I'm convinced that there's someone watching, there's someone listening, there's someone in our midst who does not have a relationship with the righteous Christ. For whatever reason, they're holding on to their sinfulness. For whatever reason, they're holding on to some past decision. For whatever reason, they're holding on to a false faith. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them courage in this moment, this day, this worship service to let go of that sin, to let go of that unrighteousness, to let go of that false reliance, and to put their faith and trust in you and you alone. Lord God, I pray that you would remind us that you're a promise-keeping God. You're a glorious and a good God. And you've given us the privilege to know you and follow you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would remind us that you are a God who keeps promises. Encourage us. Motivate us. Remind us that our faith is not misplaced in you. As we sing, as we sing a testimony to you in this moment, pray, Lord, that we would sing in faith in faith toward the righteous branch, the one who is our salvation, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 